What's up, everyone? Let me fix my mic here real quick. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vane Podcast. Today we have Matt Davis on, and Matt is kind of a jack of all trades out west. It's always fun to watch people's faces. I do this through Zoom, and it's what it's fun to watch people's faces when I intro them because they're all. Some of them are like, "Oh, I didn't know that about myself." <laughs> and other people, uh, other people are like, "Yep, that's right, that's right." So, um, yeah, Matt's a jack of all trades on kind of Western hunting. He works for Mountain Ops. He also has his own company um, for upland bird hunting, does a ton of upland hunting out West, uh, shoots multiple, I mean, you got tons of pictures of elk. You had that Barbary sheep on last year that yep. you got, um, mule deer. And, and Matt is an opportunistic hunter when it comes to the weapon, it doesn't matter, <laughs> rifle, muzzle loader. <laughs> um, do you shoot a compound or do you only use a, a recurve? So I actually just got the first compound that I've owned in eight years. Oh, really? Yep. What did you pick up? I got the RX-5 from Hoyt, the Ultra. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, just with, obviously busy with Mountain Ops, uh, busy with this new startup I'm working on. And my, my time's definitely a, a little more limited before it was go to work, come back, shoot my bow for three hours. And that was great for the traditional stuff because you need that amount of time to be really proficient. And I can still shoot well out to 35 yards, uh, but I drew a really, really good antelope tag here in Utah this year. A limited entry tag took me about seven years to draw the tag. Nice. I'm punching that tag. I'm not going <laughs> to eat it. So I'm taking the wheelie bow for a spin and it's been, it's been fun to get back into it. It's definitely not as enjoyable. I don't enjoy it as much. Uh, I mean, it uh, compounds a machine, just pull up and float the pin, pull, pull, break. You're like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Dead animal at 80 yards. Okay. That was fun. And it is fun. It is fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm make it sound like, so simple, man. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm an opportunistic hunter. I think you said it perfectly. It's like, I've got an archery tag. I will always hunt elk with a recurve because that is an up close personal animal that you can get right on top of antelope in the desert flatlands. I'm going to need a little more range than 30 yards. So I'm, I'm just picking, picking my poison depending on where I'm going. So sure. So what did, so coming back into the game after eight years, what did you, what's your setup look like? So it's an RX five. What do you run? Yeah. What are you running for like a site and a, and a rest? Yeah. So I'm running, I'm running Hoyt's rest that they've got on there. It's a QAD ultra hooks onto their little Picatinny rail dealio they've got going on. Um, I'm running the CBE engage three pin slider. Okay. Uh, I shot a single pin for forever. And I thought about shooting that spot hog. That's got the two um, fiber optics in that single pin, but I was like, yeah, I like simple. And I, I do try to get as close as I can. I have no desire to lob one at an animal. I like slam dunks. I'm probably going to shoot this antelope at under 10 yards or whatever. And then I'm going to be pissed <laughs> that I did it with my compound. Oh, you're going to have a problem drawing. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. Like, dude, I, first... could half, I could half draw this thing and kill it. And I can get back on this. Compound. I let go of the release the first time I shot the compound. That's how I do. I like pulled back. I was like, oh my hell, dude, that is bad. Luckily it did not damage the bow but i felt pretty freaking stupid so yes there are is that at the bow shop no no it's oh. in my backyard thank goodness dude i think only my <laughs> wife saw me so my pride i mean i probably shouldn't have told anybody my pride hurts a little bit but 
no, but it's good. And then uh, arrow wise, uh, shooting the VAP elites, uh, 300 spine. Um, I'm a big FOC guy coming from the traditional space. I shot the Valkyrie system since it came out five years ago, and I'm still shooting that on my compound. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, give or take whatever your experience is. I've had very, very positive experiences with it. So I'm going to stick to what I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. So, uh, on that, on that FOC side of things, a friend of mine lived in Wisconsin, moved out West. Um, and you know, what's funny is like when you come into something, uh, as a, like, I want to like, uh, I want to say an adult, but it's not really as an adult, but when you come into something and you're totally new to mm -hmm. it and, and you're a little bit more mature in life, you don't just assume a lot of different things. You know, like when totally. you grow up with it, there's just so many assumptions like, oh, this is how it's always been done. I don't know. I never thought about it that way. Right. And all of us yep. have those with things that we've just done our whole life. Um, so a friend of mine moved out out west and he was shooting. He was trying to shoot elk and kill elk. And he was he's a short dude. He's like five, six, five, five, um, like a 27 inch draw. And he was shooting 70, 70 pounds. But you know, standard hundred grain arrow or hundred grain broadhead and, and a regular arrow. And he just wasn't like, he had, he had a couple hits that had like no penetration and he's like, what the hell? Yep. So, and that was actually like right around the time Gritty Bowman was getting really popular. And um, I forget his name, but the owner of Valkyrie was on there. So he was like, um, yeah, I'm going to try these things out. His first elk he killed was a through and through frontal at like 10 yards just right coast through. to coast yeah and he was like <laughs> sold sold all day you know <laughs> and in the same year he had a friend that was uh he's like his name's jake and he is i don't know six 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 seven thirty one inch draw and he had he got stuck on an elk shoulder you know yep. and, he, and my buddy was like dude you're you're shooting these you know these expandables that got nothing to them like hundred yep. grain expandables, like you need to shoot a fixed blade with some heavy, heavy shit behind it because I just went all the way through and I shoot, you know, whatever, 220 feet per second <laughs> and you're over 300 and you didn't even scratch him. Yep. It's, it's crazy there, you know, and, and I always tell people, cause prior to mountain ops, I worked for Hoyt archery for five years. Oh, that was okay. archery was my life. I mean, that's, that's where I learned to shoot, shoot a bow. Gotcha. Not a compound, a recurve, excuse me. I'd shot a compound for a long time, but I mean, that, that was, that was my whole world. Right. And I mean, I'm in building arrows, you know, a perfectly tuned arrow is obviously the most important thing. Right. But the ample weight, ample FOC need not, none of those variables should become more important than one another. You've, it's gotta be that balanced system. But I mean, when I, the first time I used or hunted with this system, I went to South Africa and this was like four years ago and I was, uh, I was shooting a 52 pound recurve. The bow is 52 pounds at my draw length of about 30 inches. I was shooting a 575 grain arrow. Uh, I think I was shooting a 300 grain broadhead. It was like 28% FOC, a little irrelevant, but that arrow is going 175 feet per second. Every animal I shot, every planes game, coast to coast. I mean, slapped clean through him. I shot a wildebeest, poor man's, uh, Buffalo, right. Shot him court, hard quartering away. I shot him in through his last rib 
broke the rib going in, got all the goodies and broke another rib and then shattered his offside shoulder. And my arrow was sticking out, just hanging on the fletchings off the offside of this wildebeest. And wildebeests are some of the toughest animals out there. I've yeah. watched a guy with the compound the night before stick one in the shoulder and just boing. I mean, just did nothing, no penetration. And this guy's like, what the heck just happened? So I'm a firm believer in it. I know. Yeah. I mean, we, we could talk arrows and bows and all that stuff and geek out for a minute, but yeah. <laughs> all right. There's our, there's our PSA to everybody. Get If, if you ha- have poor penetration issues, uh, f- take a look at your arrows. I've talked about that on a few podcasts. So build them up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and that is so telling. That's one of the things that that made me switch was watching a guy with a trad bow that's shooting 170 feet per second get full pass throughs, and I'm shooting 300, and I'm not like that. That's like what really triggered my head. I'm like, okay, there's clearly something to this, um, you know. So it's a little and, more and, than bro science, <laughs> right? Um, so let's jump to let's jump to Mountain Ops. What do you what do you do at Mountain Ops? I am a marketing director for Mountain Ops, and uh, I've been there over five years now. And yeah, so I've I've seen it all. I've been there since basically the beginning. They were about a year old when I when I came over. I've been actually acting as a business, operating as a business for about a year when I came over, and uh, I've worn a lot of hats and done a lot of different things. And, uh, yeah, right now I'm what we've got a handful of marketing directors and we kind of focus on different verticals of the business. Uh, I specifically focus on the retention aspect of our business. So ensuring that we have loyalty programs, promotions, different things like that. So that once somebody buys from us for the first time, there's reasons for them to want to come back. So it's not only from an education perspective, you know, on product how to use it properly. So they actually enjoy using the product, yeah. uh, you know, drip campaigns, different things like that. It's, it's a giant, I mean, it's, it's the biggest bucket uh, in our business. <laughs> and so it's a, uh, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. We've got an incredible team. It's run by some, some great men, some people that I really look up to and appreciate. And they've given me a lot of opportunity to grow. And that's, you know, le- learning what I've learned there has allowed me to do, other things in my life and be uh, pretty successful as well. So I'm very grateful for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and I am a, a big mountain ops dude. Um, yep. I have, I I've always, since you guys came out a while back, my thought process in buying from you at first was essentially, well, I'm buying all optimum nutrition or first form or right. BSN, right you know, all the major players that you're going to find at like a GNC or, or a supplement store or whatever online. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I, I heard of you guys, I think it was, I don't know where it was from, but I, I should tell you that being a marketing guy, you should know that I, I is either like a total archery challenge thing mm-hmm. or it was, or it was the gritty Bowman Brian call. Yep. Um, but then my thought process there was, if I'm going to buy supplements, why not buy it from some, somebody who is in favor of hunting? Yeah. You know, why, why not? You know, I have no idea if, if BSN or optimum nutrition or GNC are pro or anti hunting. I don't know what their stance is, but if I'm going to pay for similar quality stuff, 
and actually your stuff is it's an isolate versus, you know, your uh, concentrate that you typically get. And it's a very mm-hmm. similar price. Like I wouldn't like, that just made more sense to me. I was like, well, I'll give these guys a shot. And I actually really enjoyed a couple of your off your, I would call them off flavor, like berries and cream and banana. Like those are two yeah. favorites. Um, that's what I stick with. I'm not a big, I tried, uh, I got right here. Cam Haynes chocolate caramel. It's pretty good, but I'm, I'm still berries and cream and, <laughs> and banana. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way, dude. Those are two of my favorites as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I guess I, I bought them. They tasted great. They mixed really well. That was the other nice thing is they mix really well. They're not like super chunky or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And then I did try the Yeti. Um, apparently I have an allergic reaction to niacin. Yep. Is that what it is? Yep. Yeah. Niacin. Yep. Yep. Niacin that's in there. So I, I would get like kind of a rash when I take it about an hour afterwards. And I, at first it freaked me out and I was like, and then it went away. And then it came back after I took it the next time I was like, all right. So I actually reached out to you and you're like, yeah, it's probably this go with ignite. Um, actually it was before you had ignite out, it was go with enduro enduro. Yep. Yep. So I was running enduro for a while and then I swapped. And then as soon as ignite came out, I gave that one a try and I've got the, the old Skittles, right? Rainbow candy, not Skittles, rainbow candy. (laughs) You can say it. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I know someone said that to me, like rainbow candy. I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's Skittles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, that stuff's that stuff's really good too. Holy crap, I got a big spider coming down from my ceiling right now. I don't know. Can you see that little guy? Oh yeah. Got him. Squash. That's the best part about doing all this stuff in my basement. <laughs> That's right, dude. In the dungeon. Uh um, so yeah, um, for anybody, anybody looking out there looking at supplements, um, check out Mountain Ops great company. Uh, you guys have a great pro program too, for like first responders, policemen. Is that something that you put together? That is, that's actually one of the bigger aspects of the business that I run. So okay, <laughs> that's, that's definitely my, uh, my little, my little child, if you will. So it's done, it's been awesome. That's something we're super proud to offer to people. It, it's interesting anymore. You know, some of these, uh, first responders, police officers and stuff, there's, some interesting discussions around, you know, those people that choose that field. And, uh, we definitely support those people 100%. And, uh, it's just a, it's a blessing on our end to be able to provide some opportunity for those guys to stay healthy, stay energized and, uh, do jobs that most people don't want to do. So we're, we're super grateful for them. Yeah, no, it's a great program to do. Um, cause and it, it also extends it's, it's not just, police officers, firemen, first responders. It's also teachers and nurses and yep. Teachers, right? nurses, uh, military, uh, it's not military. I meant government workers. Um, and we're actually going to be launching a, a college student, um, vertical as well here pretty soon that I'm really, really excited about. I can think back to going to college as probably many of us have, and it's, you know, you're eating top ramen and <laughs> buying the cheapest supplements you could get. You know, if you were going to the gym, trying to stay in shape and do all that different stuff. And the gym was definitely my escape during college. So uh, I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. And we've got a great way to validate it and keep it true. So it doesn't get abused or anything like that. But 
it'll be, uh, I, I think it'll be great for us. And I think the college students will be grateful as well. Cause I, I know money's tight when you're, <laughs> when you're trying to pay for tuition. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I donated, I did a lot of plasma do- donations, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hook up with whether it was supplements or out of state tags. I've, I've been there and done that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, anything else you want to, you want to say about mountain ops? Is there anything cool? I do enjoy when you guys do the really big giveaways, like the trucks mm-hmm. and, and the stuff like that, how you guys do like a shoot off or something like that. That's yeah. always kind of, that's always kind of fun. I, I enjoy watching that. I'm, and usually I'm not even in it, but I enjoy watching it just for fun. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a, a big part of social media anymore. And I think a big part of why, you know, Mountain Ops has been able to be successful and grow is, is we've got a great community of people. And the reason there's a community is because there's faces behind the brand. You know, it's, it's you and I have known each other for a long time. And it's like a lot of times you look at these really big brands and it's a logo. You don't know anybody there. You, you never talk to anybody there. So it's you support them because they make great gear. But when you get that, that perfect storm of, hey, there's actually real people and they're actually the people that they're saying they are and they and, and that radiates in their business that radiates in their product um we're tribal as human beings right and so when we find that we yeah. find that connection it's so much easier to become friends with people it's so much easier to want to support one another and so that's been a big part of it and that translates to those giveaways and stuff like that you know there's always these discussions like oh do we keep doing giveaways because some people are like oh you know mountain ops is just a discount brand it's like well, we're not a we're not a discount brand but we are a promotional brand because the, i think people are always looking brand they're always on sale, right? It's like you look oh. at like a lot of like you go to, you know, some of like the wholesale um, supplement uh, stores online and stuff like that. And it's, it's just whatever the deal of the week is. And the, hey, that's how I was in college. I was shopping around. It's like, hey, buy one, get one free of whatever pre-workout. And it's made in some dude's garage in a garbage can, but whatever. It's, it's 20 bucks and it's two for one. I'm in, you know? Right. As long as I can, as long as my face burns when I take it, I'm happy, right? <laughs> I'm in it. but uh but being able to do you know these these awesome promos it's just a fun way to give back to people and it's and they're real things and that's what we try to translate or show when we're doing those you know we're we're sharing the videos or whether it's a shoot off or whatever it is and we're trying to show people hey this is a real person going on this and we try to make sure that we're sharing that story post hunt or whatever if this person was successful um i got to go to colorado with a guy last year the year before during our Opstober promotion, which is huge, um, that and our anniversary sale and our anniversary sales next month, just as an FYI, uh, anybody who's listening. Um, but anyways, I, I got to go with, I got to go on a hunt with, uh, with the guy and he's become a super, super good friend of mine. I've gone on four or five different mountain ops hunts with people. They're people I talk to on a regular basis. They become good friends. I've hunted with them outside of mountain ops. Some of them, I, I one of my buddies, I chucker hunt with him all the time. He's from uh, Las Vegas. His name's Jimmy Tippett. He makes these badass like custom pedestals and stuff. He teaches a wood shop and anyways, but he's become like a lifelong friend and it was all over a pheasant hunt that we gave away. And anyway, stuff like that. It's like, it, it again, back to my gratitude that I feel, uh, you know, Mountain Ops gives back to its customers, but it does a great job of taking care of its employees as well. And, uh, and, the, and the leaders are who they say they are, which is, is kind of rare in today's world. So it's something I have a lot of respect for. Oh, yeah. No, and that is, that is really cool. Having a face, 
you know, behind a name. And that's something that I look for in companies that I want to like support as well. You yeah. know, you get to a point where, where, okay, I'm going to buy a bow or I'm going to buy some arrows or I'm going to buy, you know, whatever. And, and you have all these options out there. Oh, right now, a great one. Tree saddles. I don't know if that's, if you've got, have you oh, ever, yeah. yeah, you've heard of those. Oh yeah. They're, they're big out here. Okay. Yeah. So tree saddles, like, okay, I got, you know, six, seven, eight brands, right? Yep. How I do a lot of my shopping is if I'm going to look at that, I'm going, I'm going to message all of them on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever platform it is and ask them a few questions. Even if I already know the answers to them, I'm going to ask them a few questions and I'm going to see who actually responds to me and who's going to give me good customer service. Cause if they're all a similar price and I, and I really personally can't tell the difference in quality or, or there isn't any major quality, you know, aspects to them, Mm -hmm. uh, at that point, they're all kind of on a level playing field. Now it's up to the people. Who do I yeah. like more and who am I going to spend my money with? Totally. And I think that's something that that a lot of people in a digital age are are missing, but people are starting to come back to that. And that's one of the reasons why I do enjoy Mountain Ops. Because when I do message you, you respond. When I message Mountain Ops, somebody on the account always responds, right? I remember yep. one time asking you, I was like, who actually responds to me? And you're like, I don't know, flavor of the day, man. <laughs> <laughs> could have been Jordan, could have been Casey, might've been me. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Could have been Rihanna on there, yeah. Totally. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that's that's important too. And then the other thing that I even catch myself doing, and and this is something that I would like to promote to everybody is is if you believe in a brand, and if you want them to be successful, like they set their prices where they are uh, because that's what they need them to be to make the business successful. So don't always just wait for a discount. If you truly support them, don't always wait for the discount. Buy at full price. And maybe you buy at full price like Mountain Ops. Maybe you buy at full price two or three times a year and then two or three times a year you wait for a discount to come through or a promotion, you know, whatever it is. But 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 people set their prices where they are to help make the business successful and, and, and discounting all the time and just waiting for that. You're, you're showing support, but you're also at the same time, you're not showing like a full support, right? It's kind of like a, a half, a half raised hand, like, ah, I'm kind of there, but I'm not really. So I, that's, that's just my, my two cents there. And I find myself doing that sometimes too. I'm like, ah, I'm going to wait for a promo on this. You know, I want to buy this, yeah. but I got four months. I'll just keep an eye on it and wait for a promo. And then, and then the, the thought registers, well, well, man, I like the product. I like the people. Why not just pay them what they're owed? Right. I mean, they've made, they've made a good product, you know, let's just pay them what they're owed. So that's, that's my two, my two cents on that stuff. Um, that's, that's, that's an awesome perspective, man. I've always, I always believe it's like, if I've got buddies that have a business, if I've got buddies, for example, I'll, I'm painting my house right now. I just bought a new house, moved in here, and we're refinishing a bunch of it, doing a bunch of remodeling. I've got all my buddies doing my stuff. All my buddies that have construction companies, that have painting companies, that tile. I'm paying my friends. I'm gonna if, if I'm gonna spend that money, I'm gonna give it to people that I care about. Yeah. That I want that I want to support. That I know it's like, hey, I actually I know their kids, I know their wife, I know their hobbies and different things like that. I'm like. And I'm willing to pay more. I'm willing to pay my friends more than I am to some Joe Blow that I don't know. Not that I don't 
just support everybody, but I'm willing to pay my oh. friends more because they're my friends. That is, that is something I did a, a while back, um, which really opened my eyes, which it was essentially, you want to find out who's a good friend of yours, you know, do something for them. And if they come back at you, like if, you know, if I'm a, a carpenter and I'm like, yeah, I can do, you know, some drywall work for you. It's going to be, you know, 400 bucks. And they look at me and go, really, you can't give me a deal because I'm your buddy. Totally. They're dude. not your buddy. Right. Totally. I agree. Right? I mean, yeah, that that's, that's, that's kind of a, I'm using, that's, that's a friend that's using you for what you do. You know, if you're really friends and they say, you say, Hey, it's 400 bucks. They're like, you sure that's all you need for this? You know? And they're like, yeah, no, that's all I'll do. Cause you know, your buddy's already going to work out a discount for you or at least give you, try to give you a good price. He's not going to overcharge you or anything. Exactly. Across that a, a, a few times. And in my old line of work, when we used to work for general contractors and then sometimes the general contractors would want us to do like their own buildings that they own. They'd be like, come on, give me a discount. You know, I've worked with this guy for five years and I'm like, dude, I give, I give you the best price every single time. Cause I've worked with you for five years. This is the best price we can do. We're hardly making any money on this. We're making 2%. Give me a break. You know, you want me to open my books for you too? You know, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, that's a great, that's not the relationship you're looking for. I agree, man. You got a great perspective on it. Yeah. All right. So, well, I appreciate that. So let's jump off. I, I'm not good at, I'm not good at taking compliments. So it's just, <laughs> I, I appreciate it, Matt. <laughs> you bet, dude. Um, all right. So off of mountain ops final rise. Yeah. Let's talk about that, man. Tell me about it. Oh, shoot. So Final Rise is a uh, an Upland company that I started. Um, it's something that I do. I call it my second shift. Obviously, I work for Mountain Ops full time. It's a very demanding job. Uh, but we've got a great work schedule. I actually work four tens. So I've got Fridays off. And, uh, you know, I, I've always I think most people kind of aspire to have something that's theirs, right? Or finding mm-hmm. finding a way to express themselves, That's and uh, for me, and t- totally exactly right, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and so you know I I just had an idea I'm like well actually back up a little bit I my parents owned an industrial sewing business growing up so my whole life I've been sewing and it sounds like a really weird skill set um, for for a dude to have but I, I've always known how to sew and so even all my hunting gear, my packs, my pants, my shirts, whatever, I was constantly modifying things to fit a certain way or to work a certain way or whatever it was. I was always tweaking my stuff because I could. I had an idea. I'd get something like, sweet, I want this to do that. Great. I'll change that up. I want to build a gator into that pack. Great. I'm going to go sew a pair of gators into it. So they're built in, you know, all these different things. And, uh, Anyway, so I was just playing around. I was like, oh, I think I'm going to sew some some strap vests up, some upland strap vests. And uh, I sewed one or two up and uh, let my buddies use them. We hunt together a bunch. And so we'd rotate the vest through. And uh, one of my friends like, man, you ought, to, you ought to consider, you know, potentially selling these. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't, I don't one, I don't have time. I, I didn't feel like I had time, right? You know, it's coming, you're done working, you come home, you want to shoot your bow or you want to train your dogs or whatever. I'm like, ah, 
I don't know if I really want to want to do that. But the more I thought about it, Mike, what do I have to lose? I have I have a great job. I'm very, very fortunate to have a great job. You know, what's what's the worst that can happen is something I'm passionate about. And so being able to have kind of that creative freedom, right? And I, I think most people can relate to this. You know, when you when you work for a company, it's it's always going to be a team decision, right? But everybody has their ideas and their thoughts, the way they think it should be done. Um, ultimately, there's always going to be a decision maker in a business, and you might not always agree with the way that or the decision that they make, for good or for bad, right? And 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 you, but you know, when you have trust, you support that person 100%. But being able to have that creative freedom to say, hey, you know, I had all these ideas that I wanted to try or wanted to do here. We'll say for a mountain ops example, if there was something I wanted to do at mountain ops. We had a meeting and they're like, no, Matt, we don't think that's a good idea. That's okay. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But now I have this outlet that I'm like, I'm going to try it. I want to find out if that would have worked. And maybe it wouldn't have worked over here, but it worked over here. And, and so anyways, I, uh, anyway, started, started sewing a couple of them. And my goal was, I was like, you know what, dude, if I could pay for an out-of-state tag every single year, if I could sell five or six of these vests a year, I'd be stoked. That was my goal. I'm like, dude, if I can just come home, fiddle, fart around, sew on these things, get them out the door, I'd, I'd be tickled pink. And uh, anyway, started doing a little bit of marketing, started playing into social media, started talking about things, started building up a little bit of hype around it. And uh, started talking, you know, I'm going to do a pre-sale and started working on the website and started working with you know, designs and everything like that, kind of just to get that whole kit or plan, I guess, put together. And uh, anyways, we, we, I flipped it live. And in the first hour I sold like 50 vests and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like this giant, like, Oh, boy. and anyways, it's been a crap show ever since I've been playing catch up since day one. But I look at that and it's just been a giant blessing. We've been super busy. The feedback's been so positive. Uh, people love the product, which is great. Well, you know, it, it, you know, it definitely makes you feel good when your ideas or your thoughts or your skills or something you made with your own two hands is, uh, is valued and appreciated by people. And seeing you know, pictures of people out hunting with their kids or whatever, just living it up and enjoying that and seeing that product that you put together, you boxed, you taped, you sent to them, dude, I don't know if there's a better feeling in the world for, for, for me. I, I mean yeah. that it, it's, it's super, super fulfilling and gratifying. And so it's kind of kept that fire lit and uh, you know, I, I continue to work very, very hard at it. It, it kind of made me realize I, I feel like there's a great opportunity there. And so I've leaned into it a little bit more. Um, I've got a couple employees that work for me full-time right now. I obviously don't work full-time, but my wife, she's able to help kind of run things. I've got people, I've got eight people sewing for me full-time right now and uh, working on a bunch of different product lines and different things like that. And it's kind of slowly turning into this fun little monster that's, uh, that's just challenging me. And I love the challenge because as Mount Ops has grown, you know, all those hats that we used to wear, well, the company grows, you hire people, right? You hire people that are specialized in certain things. So instead of me being subpar at social media, me being subpar at a bunch of different things, but it being enough to get by, well, now we've hired people that are really good at their jobs, better than I was when I was doing those types of jobs. And so my workload has been offloaded quite a bit. 
And so I kind of have my lane and we talked a little bit about what my lane is and it's still a lot of work, but there's a lot of things that I don't have to worry about anymore. And so being able to jump over to final rise, have that freedom, have that time, inject that into it and find those challenging ways to grow because I, I do have my lane at mountain ops and there's lots of ways we can grow there. I talked about, you know, adding students and different things like that and finding ways to grow those programs, but owning your own business is a whole different level of learning how to get your shit together from the finances to patents, to trademarks, all those different things that you don't have to be involved in nine times out of 10 and any other role at another business. Those are things I'm learning. Um, in, in fact, yesterday, and I now I've got I've I've, I've kind of got this, you know, not afraid to fail mentality, and I've kind of always had that. But like right now, you know, I'm I'm not super worried. I, I just the other day I've been talking with a friend for about a year and a half, and uh, he had he had talked about creating kind of a, a media group for, for upland hunting. And there's a couple of groups. I'm like, no, I don't think we want to get into that space. But I was like, I would really love to have a nonprofit and find a way, a, a new age of conservation efforts and youth focus. Because I look at some of these big groups, not that they're doing anything bad, but you look at a Pheasants Forever, uh, Rough Grouse Society, um, you know, Utah Chucker Foundation, they're all doing amazing things, but I feel like there's like an old school mentality in a lot of those. And I'm like, dude, I think there's some, I think there's a new age way to push conservation, to raise awareness and to get the youth involved. So I started a nonprofit uh, for, for youth and upland hunting called Forever Upland. And that's going to kind of be, you're familiar with this, Anthony, but this is going to kind of be my, my conquer hunger if you will, that we have at mountain ops, sure. that's, that's, that's my North star. That is my, my pull force for the success of final rise, because now I have a way to support that right now. I can use final rise to create ends or create means to help that be successful. And through that, I've been able through final rise, I've been able to meet a lot of great people, a lot of really well-connected people and build a great network there. And now I want to take it, not take advantage is probably the wrong word, but utilize that network to do some good. I mean, yeah. the final rise, it's, it's more than me. Yeah, it's fun. I enjoy it, but it it's more than financial gain. It's more than putting out a product that you love. It's like, what good can I do with this? Like I've, I've been, I've been fortunate to be successful. There's a reason it's happening. What good can I do to be able to give back? And so that's, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of final rise in a nutshell right now. We, we've got a lot yeah. going on. I'm, I'm busy and just uh, working on putting out the best products that we can. And so far things have gone very well. So I feel super, super lucky. Oh man. I feel lucky that you found time to get on this podcast, dude. <laughs> we're going back and forth for a while and now i see why <laughs> i i apologize i appreciate you being patient with oh, me man. no no dude no that makes sense i didn't realize that so yeah i mean that's that's phenomenal in itself that that final rise went from you know i'll so i'll hope maybe i'll sell 10 you know on a on a good year and you know uh make a make a good thousand bucks or whatever and i yeah. can put that towards the tag Yep. Um, 
that was, I, I used to have a bow fishing guide service. And that was the whole objective was I just want to pay for my own equipment and my own gas. Like, yep. I'll take a guy out a week, you know, whatever, a couple of guys out a week, make, make a couple hundred dollars and I'll be able to pay for my own shit. Right. Yep. That's, that's all totally. I wanted. Um, and it became a lot more than that, you, you know, same thing. Um, but, uh, but I mean, that is, that, that's really cool. Eight sewers you said, and they're all, they're all sewing right here in the U S right. I mean, right rises, everything's made in America, right? Made in America. Yep. Yeah. Which is awesome. Um, it's a big theme that I'm on and hopefully will be on for the rest of my life. Um, kind of move, went that route of man, it's just, we got to keep start supporting each other here. Right. It's so. and it's, and it's tough, right? I mean, you, you outsource so many of these different things and it it's hard to find quality American stuff. I'll, I'll be honest. Like I feel very fortunate to have the sewers that we have, but I feel fortunate that I had the skill set and the know-how how to bring that product to life. And I knew how to make it and was able to, you know, take patterns and processes and tech packs to these guys and say, Hey, here's what you need to do. And okay. Yeah. We know how to do that. But a lot of that stuff's really hard and it's really expensive. So for startup companies to be able to keep that business in the States, it's hard, dude. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, I, 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 at the same time I came out with my vest, I think a couple other companies had seen the opportunity. And I think there were two, there were two other vest companies that came out last year at the same time. One of them is made overseas. And then the other one is made by, um, they, it's a group of guys and they contract the work through first spear, which is a, a military tactical company manufacturer. Um, I'm not sure where they're out of. I think they're over on the East coast somewhere. Um, but anyway, so they're, they're, they're doing it right. They're keeping it here in America. Um, okay. like right now I'm looking at like technical gear, like pants and shirts and different things like that. And I'm talking like Kuyu Sitka caliber stuff for the uplands. Yeah. That's like, that's, that's, that's the bar that I'm trying to meet. And dude, you can't find those materials and that know-how in the U S it doesn't exist. The technology to be able to do that. So you, you, you could get the pant but it's going to cost you 150 bucks your cost for a pair of pants. And it's like, okay, so how do I take that to a consumer and say, Hey, I want to make 40 points. Will you pay me $400? And, <laughs> and it's, it, it, but it's what you said, right? It's like, it's that mindset of like, am I okay with this? Am I okay paying a little bit more keeping it American made? Right. That's the same thing with our vests, right? It's like people are like, Oh man, that's an expensive vest. I'm like, well, dude, it takes me, takes a sewer total time five to six hours my cost of materials i'm not getting top tier pricing because i don't have the capital to buy in the bulk that you know a, a kafaru or a mystery ranch potentially does right i mean these guys are huge it's like i'm buying you know a couple thousand yards of fabric at a time and 500 buckles you know it's it's like i'm <laughs> i'm a small fish in the sea <laughs> and then and then all your time and everything to put it together and so i always I always try to just walk people through that. I say, yeah, like this is how long it, I tell people, this is how long it takes me to make. These are the materials. I'm using all mill spec, top shelf, the best of the best. That was my approach. I want to use the best materials, cost what it costs. I've got to pay my sewers. I got to pay them a fair wage. So they want to work for us, right? I mean, they could, they could go out and claim unemployment and make more money than if they were sewing for me, right? The way things are set up right now, they honestly could. <laughs> yeah, they and, could. So, and so it's like, dude, things are just so lopsided. 
mm-hmm. that it, it it's it's tough to keep that stuff uh keep that stuff right size so it's it's yeah. a it's a great point and it's something i strive to do i've got a couple other things i'm working on that'll be american made but that technical stuff dude that's a tough, tough, tough shell to crack. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. I've had a couple of different conversations and like, oh yeah, our MOQ is 300 pairs of the pant and the pants, 190 bucks your cost. I'm like, whoa, I don't know. <laughs> and that's, you know, you're, you're, when you're coming out with this gear, right? It's, you're not trying to be a me too, right? It's like, I think that the, you know, I always talk about, you know, Henry Ford and it's like, people are like, well, this vest is kind of like that vest or that pack's kind of like that pack. It's like, well, fundamentally it's got to be the same. Like a car's got to have four wheels, right? It's like, I'm sure Ford was pissed off at Chevy when they came out with the truck because it had four wheels too. But guess what? It's like, there's, there's certain things about those products that you're going to like. And uh, shoot, I forgot where I was kind of going with that. Got to back up on my, my train of thought. Where was I going with that? Uh, people saying your vest is the same as someone else's. Or- oh yeah. And uh, anyway, so it's like, yeah, there's other strap vest designs out there. Thank you. I'm glad you said that. What I was getting at was Sometimes like, Sometimes I listen, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's about improving on the innovation that's already existed. Right. I'm a huge yeah. believer that competition's a good thing, but in my opinion, it's about raising the bar every year. There's, there's advancements in textiles in garments and in, in mold injection, all these different things, it's, they're improving just like every other market is. And so being able to be aware of those things and say, Hey, you know, this, this garment's 10% lighter, or this buckle is 50% stronger and 5% lighter. Like that's my mentality. I'm like, I want to make this the very, very best it can be, but it comes at a cost. And that's kind of, that's, that's, that's the give and take. It's like, could I come out with a four-way stretch pant with two pockets in the back, two regular pockets? Like, a Piranha Brian pant. Could I come out with one of those and, and do fine? Absolutely. Are there 10,000 of that pant already in the world? Yes, there are. And so I, I'm of the mentality, yeah. if I'm going to do something, I want to raise that bar and, and make it as, you know, a, a, the best that it can be in its specific application. So kind of an interesting topic. Cause yeah, it's, I mean, that, they did. That, that, that person, that, that competitor needs to be there in my opinion otherwise people will companies if they're doing something and they don't have a need to change and they're making great money and they have yeah there's no innovation matt's giving a flat line signal right now there's no innovation because they don't have to dude we're we're making a million bucks every year or five million dollars or ten million dollars and we we don't have to change anything now would you cost for innovation our r&d budget our marketing budget we don't really need it. We can cut that and we're going to make even more money now. And we're going to do that right before we go public so that our margins look really freaking good. And then we'll just spin it off as a public company and we'll all take our fat checks. We'll go leave and we'll start a new innovative company with these fat checks that we get that we know we should have been doing this whole time, but we didn't have to. So that's, I mean, and, and, and the innovation really comes from small companies, smaller guys who, who, like yourself, recognize a need. So you see something different, they recognize a need and they're like, all right, let's let's start building this, this thing that's gonna change the way people view this or people see this and let's get it as big as we want. Just like, um, God, what's, who runs Valkyrie? Brent, Brent Hahn. Brent. Like Brent, yeah. Brent's like, dude, I, I, these broadheads that are on the market today are not that great. 
Like I, I need to just, I need to make a broadhead. Um, him and him and Iron, the guy who runs Iron Will, just like I need a Bill, high quality, yep. great broadhead that just works, you know, and just works all the time. And I can make it once, and this thing's gonna work forever. Yep. And that's and that's that's what I feel like you're doing as well. And and eventually, what that does to the big dogs in the room is it goes, shit. Matt Davis is eating at our margin. What are we gonna do about that? We need to innovate too. Or we need to try to buy Matt. Let's give him a call. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it that's that those yeah. are the two options that you pretty much have, right? Yep. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's really interesting how that whole process works in the business cycle. But I wanted to I wanted to ask you what was like what was like the major need that you saw, or what was the reason that you were like, you know what, I want to sew my own? Was it just because you wanted to and say you did it, or was there something you wanted in a vest? Yeah, I think I think there was definitely a little bit of the the just desire to do it myself. There, I think that was definitely a big part of it. But it's to the point that you were just talking about, Anthony. There were, and there still are, and they they there's still a, a couple of big honchos, right? There's your big dogs that were in that sandbox and product innovation product. The, the products had not changed five, six, seven years. I mean, there were, there are basically two companies that kind of sat at the top. One of them was basically a seasonal type deal. They would open their books uh, early spring and they would close them by September basically. And it was, it was kind of first lights initial approach, how they ran as a business. They said, Hey, I want to make a million bucks this year, let's bring in enough inventory to, to make a million bucks. They would sell it and then they'd go skiing, right? They were a bunch of ski bums, good dudes, really good dudes. <laughs> but that was their business model, right? They're like, well, we'll just bring it in, sell what we want to make. And I don't think, I, only, I know for a fact, there is only one company that essentially does it full time. There's the, there was a seasonal guy, right? It's like, he's got a full-time job. He's doing his thing. The other company was definitely a full-time thing, but the point I'm getting at is like these, these two top dogs kind of sat at the top and they make incredible products. I'll never say anything about their products because I've owned them. I've used them. Um, but there were things I'm like, you know, from the backpacking side, being a Western big game hunter, living out of a backpack for a couple of days a year, you look at companies like a Kafaru or a mystery ranch or, or whatever else is out there. Some of these high-end brands and you wear those packs and you, and you realize, and you understand how to load a pack, how it should feel, how the weight should be distributed and how you would load that up. And I was like, you know what, there's, there's this upland mentality over here and there's these products that work. There's these big game packs over here. There's a lot of comfort. There's a lot of things that are different. I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to take everything that I know and understand from big game hunting and the packs and how those work. I'm going to bring some of those same ideologies and some of those same design concepts into the upland space because it just makes sense, right? So it's like, for example, I posted a video on the Final Rise Instagram just a couple of days ago talking about the waste belt. I'm just doing this little social media push. It's kind of a piece by piece series where I'm breaking down each individual piece of the vest and talking about why it was designed that way and what makes it different from the other stuff out there. And our yeah. waist belt, our shoulder harness, our game bag, everything is different. Fundamentally, is it a waist belt? Absolutely. But the contour, the shape, the way things attach, the way it distributes the weight, where the shoulder harnesses connect, where your accessories go, where your handhelds go. 
I basically created a, a, a vest or a system that wrapped its arms around 90% of most upland hunters needs, but it's a, a, a basically a platform that anybody could then go build on. Right. So it's like, if we'll use Kefaru as example, right. They sell a main bag, but then they have side pockets, scope pockets, this pocket, that pocket, whatever. And so it's like, okay, this is my main bag. I know this is what I want, but my hunt style is X, Y, Z. So I need these handful of accessories. That was my same approach with the final rise system. I created basically a, a foundation of a vest that met most people's needs, but then I used the pals or Molly webbing platform around the bag itself and on the harness and everywhere that now I'm coming up with these different accessories, these different odds and ends so that people can make that system theirs, that it has to work for them instead of being forced into, Hey, here's this vest. What you see is what you get. There's no flexibility. Obviously you want it to fit. You can make it fit, but what you see is what you get. And my whole approach was, well, why does that have to be the case? Why can't you make it your way? Because these other companies are doing it. And so right. that was, that was kind of my approach. And that was one of the voids that I kind of felt could be, could be filled. And uh, so it's something I've, I've, I've focused on and obviously educating uh, people on that because it is a, my mentality from a gear perspective in the upland space. It's pretty far, it's not far fetched, but it's pretty new to a lot of people, especially a lot of people in the East. A lot of guys in the West are like, dude, I'm a big game hunter. I hunt mule deer. I fly fish. I do all these different things. It's just a no brainer. They see it and they're like, dude, that makes perfect sense because those are the, those are the packs I use. I enjoy doing those things sold, right? Like those guys, they get it. And then you've got guys, you know, over on your side, you know, big grouse hunters hunting woodcock, different things like that. And they're used to a simple Filson strap vest or just the most minimal thing because they're shorter walks, you're pushing brush, all these different things. And so being able to help them understand the value of that product as well, the, the, the durability of the product, how it can actually work in their favor, how it's actually modular. And if there's things they don't want on it, guess what? You can take it off. But if you go on that trip of a lifetime out West to hunt chuckers, or you're going wherever one of the Dakotas to hunt pheasants, your little, your, your small vest isn't going to be able to do that. You're going to need something more. And I think people kind of start getting to the point when we start talking about gear, we all have this customer or this journey that we go on, right? When we get into it, dude, we're picking up whatever we can grab, right? It's like, I'll grab whatever boots I can get. I'll get a, a used bow off a classified or Craigslist or whatever, I just, I just want to get into it. I have this passion. I have this yearn to, to participate in this sport. I'm going to get into it. Right. But then as you start doing it, as you start appreciating it, as you become more passionate about it, well, guess what? Usually your gear starts scaling up as, as well. Right. Because you understand the value of it. You're like, well, shoot, like it's back to the arrows, right? We could, we could use that as a prime example. It's like, oh man, you know, I was really enjoying bow hunting until I wounded five elk. I guess I better go spend $130 on these broadheads. Right. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. I'm of the buy once crime once mentality, but I definitely, I, I made a piece of gear that could excel in every single upland application. I found a way to be able to attach a Turkey seat to it. So now you have a very lightweight Turkey hunting vest. And so it's like, you're getting more use than just grouse hunting or woodcock hunting. It's like, Dude, I, I know you guys are huge into turkeys out that way. And we're big, we're big into turkeys out here in the West, but it's like, great. Now, instead of having to own a turkey vest and an upland vest, 
here's your one-stop shop and it's comfortable. You know how it feels, you know how it fits. It's a system, it's a system you're familiar with. And so I'm just trying to put as much value and uh, creativity and innovation into those products as I can so that people, when they, when they pick it up, it's like, what have I been waiting for? Yeah. Oh, that makes, that makes sense. Um, and I like, I like the thought process on that. And it's one of those things until I started buying quality clothes. And so I started, you know, the first pair of Kuyu attack pants I bought, right? I bought those. And I, before that I was just running, you know, Walmart Cabela's special, you know, totally same thing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Whatever I get my hands on. And I bought a pair of Kuyu's cause I was going out West and I put them on. I was like, Holy shit. These things are comfortable <laughs> as fuck. Like they fit great. They're comfortable. They're not baggy. They're not loose. The pockets are exactly where they're supposed to be. Yep. This is great. You know, I, what have I been waiting for on this? So it's kind of like, it's one of those things that it's, you can explain it to someone over the phone and you can explain it to them and even in person, but until they put that vest on, they're like, Oh, okay. I get totally. it. Totally. Right. It's kind of like aha first, moments. Yeah. yeah. The first time you wear a, a nice dress shirt that fits really well, you're like, ah, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Right. Totally. You yep. always buying like JC pennies or Kohl's or specials, or I don't know what you guys have out West. TJ Maxx. Yeah, TJ Maxx. <laughs> you're buying those specials, right? God, I ain't spending seventy dollars on no dress shirt. Like, come on. Like, Until you do, one. right? Right. Until you do, and then you're like, shit. I don't want to buy another one of these, but I also don't want to wear the same shirt out every night. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah. I mean, that's like it's. I, I want to say it's an intangible, but I'm sure some people will get it when you talk to them. Yeah. Um, and, and for us uh, here in the Midwest um, and, and even out East, uh, the, the thing that we do a lot of is, is pheasant hunt. Um, yeah. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of planted birds, but like you said, it's, uh, I mean, up in Northern Wisconsin, we get a lot of grouse hunters, a lot of woodcock hunters and, and having, uh, I mean, I rarely, I will literally just wear my Kafaro bag as my vest, <laughs> you know, yeah. just throw everything in there, but having an, a, a quality vest. And it's uh, the reason I do that is because the vests I have suck. They're, right. they're big, they're, they're bulky, they're baggy, you know, they're not comfortable. Um, if I had it, if I had more of, if I had, you know, more of a fitted, like you said, like a fitted or modular vest, that's not so just out there. It's certainly, certainly would would weigh on my mind to wear that versus my kafaro backpack which makes my back sweat like a mother so <laughs> i got my, you know yeah um so I, I yeah i can i can definitely see how that goes and i like the the thought process behind that and everything everything with it and one of the things we kind of joked about previously is like when you go to a, a game farm in Wisconsin. So I take, I take hunting client, I take clients out for work and we go to pheasant farms, right? Every yep. now and then they'll be like, Hey, 20 bucks a pheasant, 12 bucks a chucker. And I'm like, well, let's do 10 pheasants and five chuckers. Everyone who shoots a chucker will have to, have to drink a Smirnoff or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and then, and then I look at your post and you're like, 
hell yeah, I got five chuckers today and I only put on 14 miles. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely out here. The chuckers are definitely perceived as, you know, kind of almost what the elk is to you guys out there, right? You're you're, like you guys, the whitetail hunter aspires to the chucker or excuse me, to the elk. Yeah, a lot of the guys in the east, for as far as wild chucker go, like I've talked to a lot of guys that are like, dude, chucker hunting is like that is my dream, because we're over here we're kind of like the wild west, right? It's like we're these gunslinging cowboys out here in, in Utah and Nevada, Wyoming, whatever, and we're just these rogue rednecks running around in pickup trucks with short hairs and trying to bang on birds, you know. But yeah. it's it's the for me. And I, I think, again, coming back to that journey, we're and not just talking about gear, but just like the fulfillment of hunting. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I love every type of hunting. I, I mean, we kill a lot of different species of birds every year, but the chuckers are a pinnacle bird out here. The country that they live in, it'll whoop your ass, dude. I mean, if you, if, if you think yeah, you're in good shape, me. <laughs> go, go, go try. I, I mean, it's like, dude, I've taken guys and we get hiking, you know, and we're hiking for an hour. They're like, are we going to get into birds? I'm like, no, we got to hike for another hour. Like the birds are at the top and you're putting on a, you know, two, 3000 feet of elevation before you get to the birds and you're hoping they're going to hold for the dog. And you're hoping you don't fall when they flush <laughs> and you're hoping that there's, you know, they're it's within like there's, range. they're yeah. within range and all these different things. And they're just, they're just wily. They're just, uh, they're a hardy bird. They're fast they're very fast they're just very explosive i mean it's seeing a dog locked up on chuckers a pointy dog just even a couple of them were hunting you know multiple dogs and you get those dogs stacked up honoring each other and pointing dude my heart is coming out of my chest i get more excited about that than i do coming at full draw on an elk or you know putting <laughs> a mule deer in my crosshairs it's like it, it's because it's the unknown right there's there's always, you know, in, in big game hunting, uh, within some reason, if there's, okay, here he comes, he's walking into my lane, you get some anxiety that comes with that. I feel like once you hunt enough, you're still excited and you don't ever lose that, but you kind of get a little more ice in your veins, right? You're like, oh yeah, I've done this before. I've shot a bunch of deer or whatever. I'm still excited, but if that deer steps into that lane, he's dead. I'll kill him, you know? <laughs> You start yeah. walking up a point of dogs to chuckers. You don't know if they're 50 feet over there. It's like that dog's stopping because he smells them, right? You don't know if they're in the cliffs. You don't know if they're, you don't know where they are. And you're just tiptoeing in, just trying to be as quiet as you can. And then just that explosion of those birds. And I mean, them coming up at your feet, you know, and hitting the brim of your hat as you're trying to get out of the way. And it's like, <laughs> dude, I, People do it. I'm not kidding. The after I did it the first time, the first time I did it, I fortunately got into birds. A lot of guys can't find them sometimes. I chase these birds and dude, they were running on the rocks like little velociraptors, like this like <laughs> rock face. I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh, those are chucker, you know. And so I'm sneaking up there. And anyways, you know, the usually they'll run to the tops and then they flush up over the top of you. And so usually you want to hunt them from the top down. But anyways, I didn't know this because I was just getting into it. I'd hunted birds for a long time, but chucker was kind of a new endeavor. 
And uh, I've, you know, I'm following these birds up the hill and my dog's in front of me and the wind's blowing in our face. So they know it's blowing away from us at our back. Excuse me. The thermals are going up so that my dog can't smell them. Anyways, we get to the top and I remember those things flushing and we're kind of in the chute, like this big rock chute. We're out in, on the West Desert of Utah and it's like, you would think that nothing could exist out there. It's like, it is a barren wasteland, but it's beautiful. And dude, these birds come ripping past me like as fast as they can, you know, and they get their momentum and they're just cooking. And I remember just freaking taking it to the plug, just boom, 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 boom. And just watching all these birds fly away. And I didn't touch a single bird. And I was like, holy shit, that was awesome. <laughs> dude, and I just hooked. It was like, dude, I was skipping work. I was calling in sick. It was like, yeah, I'm going, yeah, my grandma died. Didn't she die last week? No, that was another one. How many grandmas do you have? <laughs> dude, it just, I got the bug really bad. This is, and the this is my wife's sister's grandma that knew really well. She's kind of like, yeah, family. It was yeah. bad, dude. I, I, you know, I, I love, I love pheasant. We, awesome. we do that quite a bit. I go to Washington and hunt with a good friend every year and that's an absolute blast. You know, we hunt sharp tails and, and sage grouse, Hungarian partridge. We've got most of the grouse species here in Utah as well. And uh, I love, I love all that because of the variety. It's like all those birds live in like different yeah. type terrain. So it's really fun to get into that. But but those chuckers, man, and our season's long. I mean, we hunt them from the first of October through February fifteenth. Okay. I mean, it's like it's like a five and a half month long season. What's the and, bag limit? Uh, bag limit is five. A limit of chuckers is five in the state of Utah. Okay. Uh, Idaho's eight. Nevada's six. Washington's, okay. I think, also six. And they're like, I mean, in terms of size, like slightly larger than a dove. Like they're really not that. Big. They're. You know, they kind of bird you would they're not uh, they're not the size of a crow, you know. No, I would say they're a little bit smaller than a rough grouse. Okay. Like a like a first like well, I would even say like a first year rough grouse, you know, when you kill like a young grouse, mm -hmm. I would say they're about the size of that. Okay. I mean they they'll they'll fill your hand. It's a good hearty sized bird. And dude, they are so tasty. They it are. is my favorite meat. I think you, those chuckers are. Oh. Do you do you breast? Do you cook the whole thing? What do you do with them? How do you? I usually them? breast them. We kill a lot of them, sure. <laughs> and so I try to make sure. Usually, what I'll do is I'll breast breast the bird out, and then I roll it back on itself and I freeze it and I use it for training with my dogs if we're force force fetching dogs or okay, sure. different things like that. Then I can have a, a full chucker body that I can use for training purposes with the dog. So got a freezer full of chuckers down there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have a lot of them occasionally we have to have to throw them away but at least you know I'm, I'm always eating the majority of the meat off of them and we kill a lot of pheasant do a lot of that as well and yeah obviously I try to fill a couple big game tags a year so we eat a lot of a lot of wild game good. in this house so it is good so with the uh and with the chuckers they're generally in like cubbies right is what they call them yep it's a cubby bird yep yep so, so there's like, which means you you explain it well, it's just, it's just multiple birds, right? I mean, uh, it, yeah, they yeah. just use the word covey basically to describe it. But I mean, coveys can range from, you know, a family of five birds to, well, you know, I've moved coveys of a hundred plus birds where it's like the mountain erupts. Like you come up over the top and you can just see them like running along the hillside, like those little velociraptors, right? They're just running across and, you know, the dogs see them and it's just this explosion of birds. It It's, 
and that's that's again to the unexpected aspect of bird hunting that's uh that's one of the cool things so yeah yeah i feel like you mentioned this you mentioned this before which is that uh upland hunting is almost like an old man's thing right there's not with with yeah um with your forever upland like you're 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 trying to target a younger demographic right when i go pheasant hunting i a hundred i haven't ran into somebody my age or younger totally yeah no it's always it's always older older guys um and they're always nice like there's nothing wrong with them by any means but but i feel like one of those things that are needed is time with a dog Mm -hmm. you know that's one of the hardest things to really get is if especially if you're doing what you guys are doing chucker hunting um with miles and miles like you need you need a good dog or otherwise you're kind of you're gonna be shit you're gonna have poor luck with these things right totally planted pheasants that we hunt there's been multiple years where i've gone out there without a dog and killed them you know just kind of seen them or, or walked a field edge and, and flushed them up myself, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, do you, do you have any advice for people that want to get into Upland and, and, and need to get a dog or do they have to get a dog or anything like that? Tell me about that. For me, the dogs have become the greatest part of Upland hunting. And I think that's what a lot of, that's the, um, the romantic aspect I feel of, uh, sure. of, of, of bird hunting is, is those dogs. It's really cool. You know, it's you're, you build this bond with this animal, right. And I've, I've got three dogs and I'm usually hunting multiple dogs at the same time and we'll rotate them out and different things like that. Nice mug. Um, <laughs> thank you. It is a mountain ops mug filled with, with the old, old elk. There old you elk go. Right. Colorado. There she is. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely the romantic part of it. And I would, I would highly suggest it because I feel like the, the fulfillment and the bond that you create with that, with a dog, I mean, dogs are very loving animals anyways, but they're also very intelligent. It's like anymore, like I do it for the dogs. Like I don't need to go out and shoot birds, but I'll shoot the bird for the dog because that's the reward for that dog's work. Correct. That's yep. That's, that's that aspect. And so, I mean, I would, I would strongly suggest, you know, I, I train with a lot of my dogs, but I've owned started dogs as well. I've bought them from breeders that have taken the first year of that dog's life, especially pointing dogs and been able to give them birds, right? Birds make the bird dog. And to your point, it's like, it's, if you don't have the ability to go out and constantly train or a way to reinforce that dog's instincts or bring those instincts out and train and help that dog. And a lot of times you don't even know if you're helping the dog or not. You're probably confusing it. So by getting a started dog, it's, it's easier for you to get into the dog knows its purpose. The trainer's going to tell you commands. You're going to enjoy it that much more. And any, I'm sorry, you called it a started dog. A started dog. Yep. Is what they'd refer to that as. Okay. And uh, I don't do any dog training. So I need help. What does that mean? <laughs> so a started dog means they have started essentially basic obedience to a dog. And every every trainer or breeder is probably going to have a different criteria for what a started dog is. But for the most part, a, a started pointing dog can is woe trained or can stop on the command woe. Uh, whether it smells a bird or not, we use that a lot. If we see a dog on point and we need to stop a dog so it's not disrupting 
whatever's happening so it doesn't potentially bump birds. Sure. We use the woe command and we can stop that dog. If I say woe, all my dogs will just stop and stand still and they look back at me like, what are we stopping for? You know, but anyway, so woe training, uh, basic fetching. Most of them can fetch for the most part. And most guys will eventually force fetch a dog, which is teaching the dog the actual fetch command. Um, and it's kind of frowned upon in a lot of ways. It's really the only negative reinforcement that you use when training a dog, uh, because you are, some guys will use an ear pinch or different things like that, but you're trying to make that dog understand when you put this in your mouth and hold on to it, the pain goes away. So instead of like, Hey, come here. Oh, good boy. Good job. I'm going to love on you because you came here. It's the opposite of that. You're using negative reinforcement to teach that command because a lot of pointing dogs, some of them retrieve great, but some of them they'll just, they'll point the bird, bird will fly, they'll shoot it, whatever. And they'll run up and look at the bird, like, sweet, I'm going to go find another. And you're like, especially for chuckers is like, dude, that, that bird's a hundred yards down the hill. You better bring that to me. I'm not going <laughs> down there. Like I hiked up here. You got four legs. I got two. bring the bird anyway. So yeah, yeah just you're standing over it already. Yeah. Right. Basic obedience, basic commands. Okay. And they have, they have a, a there's that you can communicate with the dog. I would say that's the biggest thing is that that dog understands commands. And now as that dog transfers from a trainer to its first time owner, the owner can now handle and control the dog at a basic level. Gotcha. Because it's all about understanding, right? These animals have to understand what you're asking them to do. And yeah. so that trainer is instilling those basic commands into that dog, making sure they understand that, which allows you to then take that dog and handle it. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that's, I, I, that's one of the things that I feel like in, inhibits it. But I mean, you said the first, and you said it multiple times that you can just see chuckers. You don't even have yeah. to it sounds like you don't have to have a dog. You could see them and stalk them if you wanted to. Yeah. I know. I know plenty of guys that, uh, I mean, they'll just, they'll just go out and there's definitely like, you start to learn to recognize the habitat. Like I can drive out in the Nevada desert or whatever, look at a hill. I'm like, Oh yeah, there's chuckers on that hill. There's just certain things, rim rock, the way the land is shaped, the type you can see the habitat that's there. And you can kind of just recognize, just like you would elk or deer. It's like you get on Google Earth, you start thumbing around, you're like, oh yeah, there's going to be elk here. It's the same thing. Sure. Um, I'm and so it's like that too. That's fine. <laughs> I can kind of do it with whitetails now, but whitetails are everywhere. In so it's not really a, a major accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, you, you can go out there, get above the birds, I mean, there's even times because my dogs will range out pretty far. They'll get out, you know, three, 400 yards when they're out looking for birds. They're usually not right next to you, right? Your dogs. How many dogs are, do you have? Three. I have three. Okay. Gotcha. So you said and, they'll uh, get out range. Yeah. Yeah. And usually when I'm hunting, well, I'll usually hunt with friends. It's always fun to hunt with, hunt with your friends. And sometimes there's three or four of us. So we have six dogs on the ground, right? On the mountain range. And these dogs, I've got buddies, dogs that run 800 plus yards. I mean, it's like, Dude, they're a freaking mile away pointing birds. It's crazy. <laughs> not my style. Not my style. I'm happy to yeah. hunt over their dog, but I'm glad it's not my dog. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so it's like, there's times, you know, I'll be walking if the dogs are in his, if they're running a ridge and I'm on a ridge, I'm like, I think there could be birds here. I'll pick up a rock and just throw it down, throw it down where I think the birds could potentially be. And every once in a while, out come some birds. 
So <laughs> and I didn't, I'd have a dog next to me. Dog didn't point him. So, I mean, yeah, right. there's, there's, there's certain things you can do to, to get the birds up. So, huh? Oh, uh, that's cool. So, okay. Final. Yeah. Moving on. I mean, we're over, we're over an hour and, and it's getting late. Um, well, it's 10 30 for me. It's nine 30 for you. <laughs> um, what else was there anything else about final rise? I'm, I have a couple uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was like, you didn't think you had any time and then you found time for final rise. Like, did you always work four tens or were you at five eights and then you switched to four tens and now you have time or how does, how did that work? What did you move around or what did you, I mean, you said you quit shooting your bow every night, right? <laughs> De- definitely. I, I got a lot of time back doing that. Um, so when COVID, so yeah, I'll back up a little bit. So <clears throat> I knew that I was going to have the opportunity to buy the house that I'm living in about two years ago. And this is the house I grew up in. Actually, this is, this is my childhood home. My dad lives next door, which is really cool. And so we'd been talking about it. So in my year end review in like 2019 or whatever it was, I said, Hey, I think I'm going to have the opportunity to, to buy this place. I'm on 10 acres. My dad owns 10 acres. It's a dead end road nobody can develop around us. It's a, it's a sweet spot and a spot that I knew that I would never have the chance to be able to get again in my life. So I was kind of determined to get it. And it was kind of this conversation of, Hey, I want to stay with mountain ops, but I'm going to be an hour and a half away from the office. So we got to figure something out, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And they were, they were all about it. Very supportive, very kind. They always have been to me. And uh, you know, we talked about it and said, Hey, if it does go through, you know, we'll figure it out. And then right after that, all the whole COVID effect kicked in and then everybody was working from home. And all of a sudden it wasn't this big deal that people were working from home because the business continued to be successful. It, 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 I mean, I'm able to do everything I need to do from my phone. I can be sitting in a tree stand waiting on an elk to come to a water hole. I can be answering emails. I don't need to be sitting right here to answer an email. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, they're, and they're supportive of that culture. And that's what makes it, uh, makes me feel super fortunate. But Anyways, it eventually got to the point that they're like, well, you know, let's, let's try working towards four tens. Like if everyone's working from home, let's just try being more productive. And it was kind of a concept they tested company wide and it proved out. And so that's how the whole company is. We, we obviously have customer service and a couple of people that do need to work um, on Fridays, but they kind of rotate as a team so that people are able to enjoy those same uh, opportunities as well. But that kind of came to be right as kind of COVID was starting. And, you know, I obviously stopped watching TV at night. I stopped, you know, it's like, it's amazing how much time you have. I didn't think that I had it right because I enjoyed coming home and doing nothing and sitting on my phone, looking at social media, watching TV shows and going to bed at nine o'clock. That was really cool. Right. And I love that, but I'm like, well, dude, if I'm off work at, you know, five or six o'clock or whatever, cause I can wake up. I mean, 10 hours is 10 hours. I, I wake up at five 30, go to the gym, come home. I'm working, you know? And so it was like, well, if I've got, you know, five or six o'clock, I can work for four or five hours a day and get a lot of stuff done, especially when you don't have interruptions and different things like that. And so I just tried to maximize that time. Obviously a lot of weekends, a lot of very, very, very late nights, a lot of no sleeping at all. 
but I got excited about it. I, that, that fire kind of got lit dude. And, and I didn't want to be stopped. So I uh, kind of been scratching and clawing my way through and I make a lot of mistakes regularly, but I'm learning from them and I'm growing. So I feel, I, I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad I pushed the button and said, I'll try. That's awesome. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite lines or favorite quotes that I've ever heard was, uh, you got to take advantage of the opportunity in the life. You got to take advantage. God dang it. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I Google. Know. you know, yeah, it's, um, it's something like you have to take the, you have to take advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime within the lifetime of the opportunity. I like that. Right. Dude. So, so it's, it's one of those things that's like this final rise thing popped up and it started doing well, right? You were hoping for five vests and you got 50 and you're like, holy shit, this is, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to get this thing going. I need to do it. And you got to take that advantage of it while it's on fire, right? You can't let that totally fail. So you got to make it happen. You got to make those 50 first people feel like they fucking loved it and like write you premium reviews on it. Right. And keep yep. that momentum going so that all their buddies at their hunting clubs and people that they go with are like, Holy shit, where'd that vest come from? You're like, Oh, this dude, Matt, here's his, call him up. Here's his card. You know, here's info, call him. It's great. It's expensive, but it's the best and last vest you'll ever own. So, you know, like that, that type of thing is, is really cool to me. Um, and I would imagine that that's very similar to how a lot of people get their start is like most people are five eights, you sleep eight hours, you sleep seven hours, you sleep six hours, whatever it is between that, you know, that's 14 between 14 and 16 hours. You got eight more hours to figure out what the hell to do with your life. You know, are yep. you, are you, are you watching TV? Are you, are you working out? Are you hanging out with your family? Are you scrolling the book? Who knows? But you know, it's really just prioritizing your time and yep. getting after it. And I think 100%, dude. Yeah. I think that's um, a lot of people just don't recognize. And, and I, and I go in spurts. Like I wish, I wish I would do it more, especially with deer vein here. Um, but I like last year during hunting season, like it's all I do. Like is, is, is I work, I hunt and I work on, my socials, whether it's, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook, whether it's TikTok, whether it's the podcast, whether it's YouTube, like I'm always doing something every night, much to my wife's dismay. Like, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Right. I'm sure you've heard it too. Like, really? (laughs) Like, you don't want to go out to dinner. You don't want to just sit here and hang out with me and watch a show with me for an hour. Like, no, I got to do, I got to do this thing, this thing, you know, that's (laughs) so meaningful to us. But at the same time, like from their perspective, it's not that it's kind of like a, a somewhat intangible to them. Like they don't understand it, but they're going to support you anyway, because it makes you happy and, and it's something you want to do and it's not drugs. Right. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, totally. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally get that. And, and I think if people really started looking at that and, and really started applying themselves to what they want to do if they want to be and it doesn't have to be business at all right it could be anything in life if you want to be a better hunter if you want to be you know uh whatever it is your job is if you want to spend a little bit more time after hours working on yourself you know to be better at what you want to do um 
I think it's just, uh, I think it's something that people need to realize that entertainment is there solely for the sole purpose of entertainment. You're not going to be further ahead in life because you watched all nine seasons of friends, right? (laughs) It's just not gonna, it's not going to do you any good at the end of the day. And that's one of the reasons why personally, I think, you know, people are always like, how did the four, how did our forefathers have the insight to, to put all these things in the constitution and put all these things into law that they didn't even know would occur, but man, they somehow they figured it out and they put in this language to make sure that we weren't able to do this. And it's cause they weren't fucking on Netflix all day. We're distracted. <laughs> there's, there's so, there's so much noise in the world. Right. And there's in the world we live in, dude, it's, it's click marketing. It's all, it's attention grabbing. And it's like, I, I always challenge people. I'm like, look at how many hours you spend on your phone. If you got an iPhone, you can set up like a weekly report and it will tell you how long you spend on your phone. And it would blow your mind how many hours a day people spend on their phone. So when you come to me and you say, well, I don't have time. And it's like, well, I just looked at your iPhone thing and you spent five and a half hours on social media the other day. Five and a half hours is a crap ton of time. Imagine if you were reading a book or listening or just just trying to improve. And I think you're so right, dude. I think we all have these ambitions, but we hear that inner voice of just being lackadaisical and just being set in our ways. And mm-hmm. everybody's fully capable. There's not. There's no. I don't think there's really a secret sauce. I think there's definitely timing. I think you nailed that. I think there's opportunity and timing, but shoot, dude, if you want it, you can go get it. There's, there's nothing to stop any single person. I really believe that. I truly believe that the people that are continually successful time and time again, it's not so much it's of what they're doing. It's the opportunity and the work ethic behind it. That's what's making those people be successful. Mm -hmm. So 100% agree, man. Well, um, that is a, that's a great note to end on. I think that's a good, yep. I think that's a good punchline right there. <laughs> yeah. Get motivated. Go kick ass. Yeah. Go do, go do stuff and things. <laughs> we got so much room for activities. Now we're going to do stuff <laughs> without power tools, no power tools, Dale. <laughs> All right. Well, Hey Matt, where can people, where can people find you and, and final rise and mountain ops? Tell me, tell me those things. Yeah, you can find us on all the on all the social grams. Um, my personal is just Matthew B. Davis on Instagram. Final Rise is at Final Rise. Pretty pretty straightforward there. And Mountain Ops would be at Mountain Ops. So I'd say connect with us there. Obviously, links to websites and all the other social stuff as well. But uh, that's definitely where we're the most active across the different social platforms. So we'd love to connect with you guys. All right, perfect. Well. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Really appreciate it. And uh, and I apologize to the person's time you I, I took today so that you couldn't sew them a vest. I apologize <laughs> right now, but, but this podcast was important. <laughs> it was absolutely worth it. I appreciate so, you having me on, man. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave a review. Uh, if your app doesn't, doesn't allow you to leave a review, I don't know maybe go find a different app that you can leave a review on, I guess, or something. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, appreciate it. And um, I don't know who we got on next week. I already talked to him, Taylor Coleman. 
that's right taylor coleman from captured creative uh he does like pretty much him and jordan do all the first light stuff uh from a media perspective does a ton of different uh fun hunting things as well so um and he goes on a lot of different hunts too so we'll be talking to him about that stuff and um and i think that's it all right catch you guys next time